the Space Show podcast will be on its annual summer hiatus for six weeks. In its place, we are pleased to present our summer series, Lunar Science in the Artemis Era. Lunar Science focuses on the science to be done on and around the Moon by both robotic missions and the crewed Artemis missions. Lunar Science Welcome to Lunar Science, the series in which we discuss the scientific investigation of the Moon and its environment in the Artemis era. An important branch of space biological studies is the effect of gravity, ionizing radiation and lunar regolith on plant growth. If we are ever to live long term on the Moon or Mars, then we will need to grow food there. In episode 47, we examine that question. One of the early investigations will be BioSentinel, which will be flown into heliocentric orbit by the Artemis I mission. This description of BioSentinel was given in January of 2021 by Sergio Maria, who is research professor at the Cosmiac Research Center of the University of New Mexico. I'm going to talk about Lunar Biosensor, which is a descendant pretty much of BioSentinel hardware, which is the first deep space biological CubeSat. This will be a quick one. Uh, Mila talked about this, uh, about like what do we know uh, of how life, especially human life, behaves uh, in space and how it responds to the space environment uh, approximately two weeks from the Apollo missions uh, outside lower orbit and uh, around uh, 14, 15 months in, uh, on the International Space Station. So uh, using model organisms may just kind of make sense to understand how they respond uh, for future long-term travel to space. So CubeSats come in all shapes and forms. There are new concepts uh, under development from international partners, uh, as well from commercial companies that have flown some enzymatic reactions to lower orbit. What are CubeSats? CubeSats are small satellites, like uh, within the microsatellite uh, nomenclature, uh, that are derived and or defined by the 1U concept, or it's a cubic model of 10 by 10 by 10 centimeters. Uh, Artemis 1, previously known as EM1 or Exploration Mission 1, will be carrying 13 of these CubeSats as secondary payloads, all of them uh, of 6U, uh, meaning 10 by 20 by 30 centimeters, like a relatively large uh, shoe size box. One of these will be BioSentinel, which is, will be the only biological uh, CubeSat going to deep space, will be the first of its kind. Uh, in addition, there will be a few, uh, four more like passive experiments flying inside Orion that will return after a couple of weeks. Uh, like I mentioned, BioCenter will fly in uh, uh, on Artemis 1, fiscal year 22, probably at the beginning of next year. 
it would uh, go well beyond the magnetosphere, so outside the protection of the magnetic field. So we'll be exposed to that uh, combination of high energy particles, uh, potential solar flares, etc. And, and the main objective of the instrument is to be able to maintain or keep biology alive for long periods of time in deep space. Uh, the main research goal is to understand the DNA damage response in a eukaryotic organism, in this case, the Baringia saccharomyces cerevisiae. In, inside the 6U, uh, there will be a, a series of subsystems, uh, everything from solar panels to batteries to command data handling, uh, iris transporting, a micropropulsion system, et cetera, et cetera. Within there, we have what we call the biosensor payload, which is the basis for the uh, lunar uh, biosensor, as well as uh, the unit that will be flying to the International Space Station for our microgravity control. Something important to mention is this 4U biosensor payload that uh, will also has a secondary payload on its own, which is an LED spectrometer, the GIS will be activated in a space and we have thermal control for each car, so we can, we can modify the temperature for each of them. What's our ultimate goal? Uh, we have this instrument that we're flying on the ISS and also uh, to deep space as a free flyer as part of Artemis 1. We also have our ground control unit at NASA Ames, and we hope to be able to put something like this on a clips lander or some sort of lander vehicle on the moon as well as a gateway if possible. So we are able to map that radiation gravity continuum using a common instrument. Uh, I know that uh, there's gonna be a call coming soon and, and, and I don't know, if, I don't think has been discussed at this meeting yet, uh, but uh, in the next slide please, I think we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. So we hope to, to use this common instrument to study uh, different phenomena. When you see the Artemis One liftoff, you will, of course, be impressed by the sheer spectacle of the Space Launch System rocket. But do spare a thought for BioSentinel, a small payload tucked away near the top of the rocket. Robert Heinz is a scientist at the University of Colorado. He says that despite half a century of experiments, much is still unknown about watering of soil. Next year, we get to celebrate 40 years of uh, growing plants in space. And what has plagued uh, most every one of these uh, crop uh, experiments in space has been how to water plants. And uh, here we're talking about both over and underwatering, but most of it is going to be related to uh, unexpected distributions of water and air in porous media and how that uh, shuts down connected water-filled pathways and connected air-filled pathways, which is the, the way that uh, hypoxia and uh, lack of oxygen root zones is limiting uh, plant growth. And we have a good amount of data, but most of it is limited or confounded in some way or the other, be it data from drop towers, um, parabolic flight, or uh, on the space shuttle or International Space Station. Most of them have something else going on along with the experiment, they're short durations. And because of that, we've tested mostly things on the wet end of water in soils, and we've mostly tested things imbibing, not so much draining. So we have a real lack of data, which appears to be a, a low hanging fruit in a lot of ways in terms of providing fundamental basic data that we need to design watering systems for plant growth in uh, whatever reduced gravity that may be, whether that's zero gravity or uh, lunar and Martian gravity. So with that, we, we think that uh, there are some macroscopic properties uh, in terms of soil physics that are really central and uh, critical to be measured at this point in time. And it can be done relatively 
simply on a, on a lunar surface. So quickly, what does gravity have to do with this? Well, it has to do with these uh, connected uh, air and water-filled pathways. And particularly for the air-filled pathways, the uh, exchange of gases in the water phase is in the order of 10,000 times slower than through the gas phase. So if along the pathway from the cabin atmosphere or habitat atmosphere to the plant root, you have just one single pore that is water-filled, you have shut down that pathway for oxygen diffusion or removal of metabolic gases. And in 1G, we have a pretty good idea how water distributes. We can manage uh, having enough air-filled pathways, but in zero gravity, we have much less experience with the uh, altered distributions of water and air in these porous media. And uh, we've seen in many of the experiments that we do shut down more of these air-filled pathways than what we maybe expected. So some of it goes back to um, poor scale processes. So as we go to more capillary dominated systems, we've got changes in liquid vapor interfaces. We have uh, um, differences in imbibition, more preferential flow, um, more heterogeneous flow fingering. We have particle segregation, which also means that we have discontinuity. So you can potentially leave dry clusters of soil behind that will never get wetted up in these kind of systems. This all plays out in the, in the water retention characteristics between 1G and, and various reduced gravity. And then to the point that we have very limited data on this, we do indeed see a much reduced oxygen diffusion rates in uh, microgravity compared to 1G. But uh, a power bump here prevents us from collecting the full data set. So we are once again limited in the sort of predictive capabilities that we have. So what we're proposing is to uh, have a simple long-term water imbibition and drainage experiment where we can really look at these fluid redistributions and uh, long-term exposure to reduced gravity that can be uh, combined with other experiments as well as something that doesn't have to be returned uh, to Earth. And uh, what we're proposing is to test the uh, capillary substrates or the same arcelite kind of media that is being used in veggie and APH and some of the prior uh, plant growth uh, chambers, and also to look at polymeric forms with different pore size distributions to really get at the, the fundamental science there. Will plants grow on the moon? That is a question that the Ames Research Centre scientist Chris McKay wants to answer. He thinks he could use NASA's commercial lunar payload service landers for a lunar plant experiment. The question we're all asking, of course, is will plants grow on the moon uh, in the radiation and gravity environment there? Of course, we can control pressure, temperature, and water, but we can't change gravity and it's hard to stop radiation. To really know the answer to this, we think we have to grow on the moon. So our goal is to try to contribute to making that happen as soon as possible on these small robotic landers. So our immediate goal is to design a very small, one liter, low power, completely sealed system for doing plant experiments, which, which we call LPX. We have been working in that direction. Uh, LPX uh, is a CubeSat, the first, the first version or model one. Uh, it flew to the space station in December uh, 2018, returned a, few, a month later. And it, it did an experiment looking at the effect of a, of a steroid, estradiol on genetically modified Arabidopsis. And because of that, because we were working with a steroid, and the basic experiment is growing Arabidopsis in, in rows, monitoring the plants through a imaging, 
and then uh, monitoring CO2. And from that, we can understand how the plants grow. Now, on the space station experiment, we were able to return the habitat back to Earth to do further analysis of the plant material. On the moon, of course, that's not an option. In the There's now the capability to do partial gravity studies on the space station routinely. And so it's really scientifically valuable to be able to use the exact same hardware to do lunar gravity simulations on the space station and then run the same plants and the same hardware on the moon so that we can put the results from the moon in a broader context of data, of artificial gravity data uh, from the moon. So on the base station, you could do zero lunar Martian Earth gravity. You then have an experiment on the moon where you've got moon gravity, of course, and it fits into the context comparing to those space station uh, data. And th this is important because currently and for the foreseeable future, we'll be able to do a lot more experiments on ISS than on the moon. So having that context from ISS is very important. And so for that reason, we're changing the shape factor, but it's just superficial. The internal uh, guts of the experiment are as flew on the space station. So we're, we're ready to go. Components have been tested. Uh, just to emphasize, what can we do on the moon in these very short experiments on these solar powered landers, which really would limits the duration of an experiment to about 10 days. We think we can look at germination, we could look at phototropism, and we can look at circummutation on these plants, Arabidopsis in particular, as they grow. The main issues here are, of course, to be small and low power, uh, but uh, there's another issue for growing plants, and that's temperature. The surface of the moon can get very hot during the day, and the day is the only time you can operate because that's when the spacecraft has power. There's two ways to do this. One way is to have elaborate thermal control. The other is to go to the right latitude. If you go to 70 degrees, then the surface temperature of the moon is just what you need to grow Arabidopsis. So uh, site selection is important, and if not, thermal control is important. Uh, the, the, I, I want to emphasize in closing that the point here is to try to do plant experiments very early, as soon as possible, on clips with small self-contained packages that have minimal impact on the spacecraft and are consistent with these simple small spacecraft to the moon. Chris McKay of Mountain View, California. Two main factors may affect plant growth on the moon. One is the regolith itself. The other is gravity. On the surface of the Earth, the gravitational field strength is 9.8 newtons per kilogram. Plants are adapted to this and can sense which way is up and which is down. Lunar gravity is only one-sixth of ours, that is 1.6 newtons per kilogram. John Kiss of the University of North Carolina in Greensboro wants to find out what the effects of lunar gravity will be on plant growth. Today I'll talk to you about our results on uh, lunar gravity and plant development, and these are based on experiments we did on the ISS. So just briefly, why do we need plants on the moon or Mars or long-term space missions Plants will be part of bioregenerative life support systems. They produce oxygen and they uh, will uh, recycle carbon dioxide. They're also an important source of food and medicine. 
plants have tremendous psychological benefits, particularly on long-term missions and benefits for the crew as this sort of tie to uh, Mother Earth. Before I talk about our ISS experiments, uh, let me briefly introduce the topic. So my lab is very interested in the interaction between gravitropism, directed growth in response to gravity, and phototropism, directed growth in response to light. Everyone knows phototropism. If you have plants on a windowsill and you have to rotate them, uh, that's because the plants will tend to grow toward the, the light. So uh, if we review what happens with this in white light, full spectrum light, uh, shoots have positive phototropism. Again, this is familiar. Interestingly, roots have negative phototropism. They grow away from the light. And this is less well known, but it's a, a very important phenomenon. If we break down light into its component pieces of the spectrum, uh, this is all due to blue light. So in blue light, shoots exhibit the positive phototropism and roots exhibit negative phototropism. So blue light is the same as uh, what you're seeing in white light. Red light on Earth is very interesting because there's no observed phototropic response. Red light is very important in terms of plant growth and development, but not in terms of phototropic responses on Earth. We did a series of experiments on the International Space Station, um, most recently called the Seedling Growth Project. We actually know quite a bit about plant growth and development in microgravity. So plants have been part of the very early Soviet and the uh, NASA American space mission. So we have a large um, breadth of knowledge. We know very little about plants at reduced gravity levels or fractional gravity, such as on the moon, the 1-6G, or Mars. And one of the things we're able to do on the ISS is to explore these uh, interesting and important topics. And we did this because we had a centrifuge available. So we used the European Modular Cultivation System, EMCS, which was formerly in the uh, Columbus module. The EMCS is simply an incubator it's meant for plant experiments, other kinds of experiments with maybe protists and things like that. But the EMCS had a, a temperature control, gas control, lighting. But most importantly, there were two centrifuge pallets. So we could do our experiments in microgravity. We could do the important 1G control, but we also could do the moon-Mars levels of gravity. And this is where it gets interesting. This was the experimental uh, uh, procedures. Um, we, uh, we set up dry seeds and we looked at small uh, seedlings over maybe six days. Initially, we applied 1G. This is simply to get the seedlings to grow straight. And then we had the stimulation phase where we had different kinds of light, red light or blue light. We had two kinds of data, uh, video downlinks, and at the end we froze the seedlings for transcriptomic analysis. So this is what it looked like at the end, uh, beginning and the end of the stimulation phase. So you could see the seedlings uh, in, in white light growing pretty straight. And we applied red light from the left side in this case. And we had different gravity treatments. We made a really, really amazing discovery. That is, STEM showed positive phototropism to red light. 
recall in the beginning, I said that plants are not responsive on Earth in 1G conditions to red light. But we had a very clear response here. In microgravity, we had uh, curvature, direct growth toward the red, and then you could see the 1G control. And this is an example of a fundamental discovery allowed by uh, the International Space Station. Now, we looked at this in the hypocaudal stem-like organs and roots. And again, we saw a response, a positive response to red in the hypocaudals. And we also saw an even more robust response, uh, greater magnitude in the roots. And uh, then we did the different gravity levels in here. What we found was, in terms of the stems, uh, micro-G and approximately the moon level of G, uh, the 0.1G was actually a little bit higher, uh, though they were identical. But 0.3Gs attenuated the response. And in roots, uh, we, we saw that response, but there, point, uh, 0.1G was enough to attenu attenuate the response. So there was a difference in the two organs. Summarize this, what it tells you is, for the phenomenon that we studied, 1,6G and micro-G were pretty much the same. So the moon responses were like the microgravity responses. However, the 3,8G, the Mars G, uh, was pretty much the same as the Earth response. So to really extrapolate this for plants, the Mars level is sufficient gravity, but the moon level is not. And this is just to remind people, we're talking today about moon, Mars, and beyond. But right now we have the ISS, and it's an important test bed for moon and Mars. We don't have a large centrifuge, but we have a number of smaller centrifuges on there. And I urge people to think about using that so we get more data on uh, these uh, reduced gravity levels. Briefly summarize, uh, we know a little about plant physiology at the moon-Mars levels. Our ISS experiments suggest Mars G is good enough for the plants, but moon G is not. Uh, one thing I did not show at all, um, our transcriptomic studies uh, basically support the curvature studies. That is, if we look at the gene expression at Mars G versus moon G, uh, the moon G is much closer to plants at microgravity. We'd like to perform some of these experiments on the moon. Uh, as people have mentioned, we want to look at the full suite of factors. We have the uh, reduced gravity, but we have the radiation and other effects. And actually, I've been in collaboration with Chris McKay, uh, and, uh, Bob Bowman, and colleagues. Uh, we've been working on a, a lunar habitat, which could be used to grow plants on the ISS. From Greenborough in North Carolina, that was John Kiss. At the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena is Pamela Clark. She wants to go gardening on the moon. To help, she has a proposal called LARGE. You guessed it, this is not a word meaning big, but an acronym. Lunar Amended Regolith Gardening Experiment. Uh, our goal really is to look at the intersection of uh, actually using lunar regolith, which, by the way, the Chinese did not, to see if in a very minimally containing organic, a new soil, essentially, we can um, mobilize the, the uh, cations as coenzyme factors. So we're looking specifically at measuring what's going on in the 
terms of changes that occur with things that we can measure with um, very small sensors in the atmosphere and the soil. And we're also looking at designing something that would require minimum additional resource input. So we're using lunar, talking about lunar regolith rather than bringing soil from Earth and minimum resource expenditure, including energy from the crew. So this would be a system that would essentially sit in a habitat, take advantage of being there in terms of protecting it, using the resources the cure is going to use anyway for the atmosphere and radiation protection. And uh, basically, the idea is to test the hypothesis uh, that we can release sufficient quantities of mineral nutrients to support the germination process. And we would do that essentially by what I said, monitoring uh, various aspects of the germination process with sensors operating under uh, standard uh, temperature and pressure conditions within the, within the experiment itself. Um, and adding water and uh, varying amounts of inorganic supplements um, in the various cells that are part of the design. We're monitoring carbon dioxide, temperature, pressure, humidity in the atmosphere in the upper part of the cell, as well as in the soil, oxygen, pH, and selected cation, which is an indicator of uh, things that are important, enzymes and, and the plant growth. And we also take a, an image of when we below the um, the package when we land to, to get an overall idea of what the mineralogy is of the, of the soils would be collected. And then we're also looking at what is the optimal amount of water that can be added as a function of the glutinate content and the kind of simulant that we're using. What's, what, it, it looks basically so far like we have a fairly broad, uh, forgiving kind of a system in terms of the amount of water, pretty broadband in the, in the center of if you plot time versus of generation versus water. I'll show that in a second. In summary, we're proposing to test a hypothesis that lunar regolith itself will release sufficient quantities of mineral nutrients to support plant growth. Now, we are talking about adding varying amounts of a simple nutrient mixture in different cells to see if that has an impact. There will be some that will have nothing except lunar regolith in them. And so we'll do that by monitoring the germination process under Earth atmosphere conditions. Um, we'll sample that we'll use the material come directly from the lunar regolith itself and we'll, we'll basically control the amount of water that we add. We have a preliminary design for the package, which I have uh, shown you. And uh, we're basing the collection mechanism, which I, as someone who uh, is kind of, used to live, sleep, and breathe the Apollo program when I was growing up, um, I'm very interested in what effectively worked for the Apollo samples, because as you know, lunar regolith is like a brace of Velcro. So it's collection, you're not gonna move it, you're gonna just move it, you're gonna basically get it and quickly bring it into the sampler, which is what we're planning on doing. Um, and we're basically is heritage from the Mars program in terms of using a, doing this in a carousel-like fashion, basically moving, moving the equipment that'll move the sampler down to the soil, lift the sample back up, and then seal it. And we're in the process of testing and finalizing our design by doing various experiments to uh, test the various assumptions that we're make, making and the mechanisms that we're going to be employing. And that's it. Thank you.